Hi, I'm George Techmanchov here with the Eastern Target Archery Podcast, along with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and our special guest today, the coach of the Israeli archery team that uh, did some amazing things in Tokyo, Guy Matskin. Guy, thanks for joining us from Tel Aviv. Pleasure being here. And We've been pumped to have you, man. Why does he sound better than the two of us? What's up with that? Uh, it's just, just the way he is. He's smarter than both of us combined, so it's probably a technological advan advancement that we don't understand. Hey, guys, oh, okay. seriously, all, all joking aside, thanks for joining us. I, I know how busy a time it is, and uh, it's just great to have you on the podcast. Um, Steve, in particular, wanted to get you on because I think that we both want to explore the program that you have in, in Israel along with your coaching philosophy and where you're headed from here. So I, I, if we can cover some of those things and anything else you want to talk about, that would be great. Uh, would be absolutely my pleasure. Feel free to, because it's a very broad subject to just get <laughs> away yes. with, uh, just guide me on what you want to know. Well, let's I start was, out uh, with, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I was just driving over this morning, driving into work, and I was thinking, I was trying to remember exactly where I met you. I think it was at World Championships in Copenhagen or possibly in Nîmes. Do you remember? Uh, well, my memory is very bad. So asking me these kinds of questions is a doomed uh, endeavor. I would say probably Copenhagen, but I feel like it was before. I, I know that I knew you from, from Anna, I think from the, from Slovenian archers. Yeah, that was maybe it was, it, did you go to world field in Croatia? No, the okay. only world fields that I went to was in Dublin as a guest because I was at the time in Scotland. So I just took a 15 euro uh, Ryanair to come and watch the event. <laughs> the, the only world championship that I've seen as a spectator. It was cool. The oh, only nice. airline in the world that has a coin slot on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. At some point I was like, this is actually cheaper than a bus two hours away. Why would they not go there? No, absolutely. That's crazy. That's crazy. 15 euro for a flight is crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, uh, I've known you for quite a long time, um, of course, before London. And um, I, I can't remember when we met, but uh, it goes back. I th I'm thinking we go back to maybe 2008, 2009, somewhere like that. Something along that. I think 2009 yeah. would be 2009 Neem would be my guess. Sounds about right. And so um, let's start out by talking about the fact that you are a world class archer, not just a coach, and that you are actually the first Israeli athlete to have qualified for the Olympic Games in the case of the London Olympic Games, but you weren't uh, allowed or there was some kind of situation where you weren't able to shoot the yeah, London we, Games. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but, but uh, just know, so people yeah. understand, you are, you are yeah. an Olympic level archer. Yeah, I was a sore subject for a few years, but then, you know, you go and move on and, and realize that life is life and you can't live in the past because that's not going to really help anything. Actually, Israelis in archery in the Olympics is a very sore subject because the first one who got invited in 1980 could not come because we participated in the boycott of the Moscow Olympics. And then Yaron was supposed to, he was at the level to shoot at 96, but they didn't let him participate at the 95 World Championships in Indonesia because of political reasons. So he got a wild card to 96, and then our National Olympic Committee didn't let him go because he didn't earn the spot. 
And then I earned a spot for 2012, but because of internal criteria that since then have been, uh, they, they have been, I wouldn't say proved, but they were noted as being wrong. So they canceled them. Uh, and now he ties the fourth Israeli and the first one to go, really deservedly so. He's a phenomenal archer. He has done us proud. Absolutely. And both Steve and I were, you know, trading um, texts and phone calls during his performance in Tokyo. Uh, Steve, you had some observations. I mean, his form was spectacular. Yeah, he was just one of those guys who looked like he looked like he was starting to have like a discovery in the moment. And you, you see that from people sometimes where they they get to, you know, they're at one level and they, they start into a competition, you know, through the bracket, they start to improve. Mm. And it's like they, they it starts to click right there on the spot. You could almost see it starting to click for him, you know, and he was just growing his confidence, getting better and better throughout the whole thing. It was really cool to watch. That's, that's, that's what it looked like to us, Guy. What, what was your perspective standing a meter away from him or, or whatever the COVID distance was? Uh, yeah, well, interesting. You know, I can answer this probably better in retrospect because I was running a bit num a, a few like really simple analyses of the scores in in um, in Tokyo and how archers performed in qualification versus how much they've done in in eliminations in scores. And it's a tricky comparison, you know, with the wind and everything. But at the end, you, you look and you see that Itai did better than his qualification score in average per arrow. And on the first round, only 10 people done it. So you are right, Steve, in saying that he has done, it looked like in his, he's in his element. But probably the way to look at it, especially in the Olympics, uh, is that everyone else was not in their element and in qualification, they're just nailing it. And he's one of the only archers who went on the final fields and was just like, that's fine. It's not. It's nothing I'm not prepared to. And he's just given a performance. It was amazing to look from the side. So you're saying 10 archers at the Olympics shot a higher average in matches than they did in qualification? Probably even less when I was saying 10 in the first round. Of the, the whole 64 oh. archers in the first round, only 10 did better. Interestingly enough, Mete Gazoz is probably the only archer who's done almost better than his qualification in every match and in the matches that he didn't do better he did almost the same as qualifications so and i think <laughs> this is the big difference in 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 an event like olympics is everyone goes on this big stage and they're just they i, I don't want to say they lose it but they they do not shoot as comfortable which is understandable but yeah. not as comfortable as in qualification and itai one of the things we worked with him going there is that going on that stage, you will feel he will understand, God, I'm at the Olympics. This might be scary, but but I have the tools to deal with it. And that's how it looks from the side. You know, you just look at him and he's like, yeah, Olympics. Some of the errors are not in the middle, but I know how to put it there. Uh, and the rest seem lost at times. So, yeah, it so seems to me. Guy that, um, you know, there's several coaching styles out there that you see when you watch a situation like either the Olympics or the World Championships. Um, you have the coaching style of uh, somebody like our own Kisik Lee that might be a little less talkative, 
Um, you have some of the styles that are much more talkative, like we've seen from even some of the Koreans. Uh, yours was more toward the talkative side, I think. And I, I'd like to get an impression, perhaps, of the kinds of things that you were telling your archer under that match pressure in Yuma Oshima. That's, uh, that's a very interesting question, because if... Especially if you'll ask Itai what my style is, he'll probably say I'm very quiet because the style of, or, or what I will say or how much I will say frequency, volume, content will vary tremendously on which archer I'm working with and what place. So there will be competitions that I was with Itai and I was more or less silent. And then we talked a little bit when he came off the line. Um, but specifically for the Olympics, what was my plan going there or the way I kind of like expected it to be is that we, you know, I'm, I'm also a, a qualified sports psychologist and we keep talking about the difference between task orientation uh, and performance orientation. So whether are you focused on doing what you're doing or focusing on where you're supposed to hit, um, and when an archer does really well, he focuses on his shot and what he's supposed to do. And that's where the Olympics come into play in ruining that. It just takes the focus out of, okay, this is what I need to do shot-wise into 500,000 different things that you should not be thinking about. Like, oh my God, everyone's watching me. Oh my God, the Minister of Sport is here. Oh my God, there are newspapers here, etc., etc. So everything that I did in the Olympics, you're right, I was a lot more talkative than usual. Uh, I would just shout at Itai at full draw. Uh, let me translate it uh, to English. It was open, stabilize, extend, and powerful release. I just kept shouting that as a mantra to keep his mind focused on, on the task rather than, oh my God, what is going on here? Uh, it's actually the reason I did that is is based on a study that they did on self-talk with um, with uh, sprinters, 100-meter sprinters, in which instead of like self-talking, pumping yourself, they were just giving, they were given um, instructional self-talk. They were they had three key keywords, uh, one from for the sprint at the start, one for the acceleration, and one for the maintenance. I don't remember the words, but it was more or less like claw, hold, whatever it was. And it worked really, really well with them. So I keep doing it with archers when you need to keep their minds occupied on what they need to do. Yeah, but it's you a, don't it's want a proven, to start. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want formula. to start breaking exactly. And you don't want to start breaking it up too much into things that will make them too conscious on their technique. So you keep it short, very holistic regarding um, experiences and feelings. And it, it worked well. Uh, at some points, he was angry with me that in, uh, in training. But at the matches, under pressure, it worked well. And I'm happy about that. Yeah. Let me ask mystery. you, when you guys were training, I mean, I think a lot of people make the mistake of they go out and they, they continue to fire arrows and they, they continue to try to bolster that shot process that can give you a great qualification score. But as we know, when you get into the – a finals field or 
in the case of the Olympics, they're all shot as a finals match. So you have your 22nd clock. Were you guys training primarily under a 22nd clock to try to keep that rhythm within his shot process? Uh, depends on when and where. So before we left uh, Israel, we did we had a short time to, let's call it Olympic prepare because he only did the, the quota at the last tournament. So that was mid-June. And then at, I think it was 16th of July, we were flying to Japan. So over a two-weekend period, so over two Saturdays, we did an Olympic simulation. So we took all the kids on the squad uh, to shoot against him, alternative, uh, alternating matches with crowds, live feed. Uh, we got some uh, journalists to come. We even took a hose because we were actually the thing that we were most worried about weather-wise, the thing that we are less prepared to uh, as, an, as a very dry country is shooting in the rain, especially shooting in the rain while it's warm. So we just hosed him down with, uh, with a hose. You don't, to get too, you don't get too many typhoons in, uh, in we Israel, definitely, do we, we definitely do not. It was an interesting experience to feel a typhoon, not going to lie. Um, so when he was doing that, we were absolutely shooting and practicing 22nd, um, 22nd uh, arrow matches. He does it a lot in practice as well. But the thing is, we try to vary practice and training as much as possible to cover multiple scenarios so that he will have multiple tools. So sometimes he'd get to shoot um, an arrow every 14 seconds, 12 arrow ends, just so he knows that if something happens, he will be able to manage it. And even in Tokyo, one of the things that happened to him technique-wise is that a lot of his uh, arrows, before he got to full draw, the clicker clicked. Uh, this is something that's very unusual for him. So when we're, we were talking about it, we said, okay, this might happen to you on the final venue. We will practice it now. And every time it happened to him, I started counting back from 10. And he'd still be able to do that. And if you might have noticed, his, during his first three arrows on the first match, that happened to him. And he just put the clicker back on, shot an arrow, I think it was a gold. So it's all about preparing on multiple fronts for multiple scenarios and get them empowered to believe that they can do it under pressure and they can. Yeah. You know, your, uh, your mention of a mantra or, you know, key words uh, goes back to, you know, Dick Tone always says, focus, rhythm, timing. Those are the three words that he uses for his students, including myself and Jay Bars and some others. Focus, rhythm, timing um, gives you everything you need to execute a shot. Mm -hmm. But uh, it has to, those words have to have meaning. You know, if you just say focus, what does that really mean? You say rhythm, what does that really mean? And timing, what does that really mean? All those things have to be defined between the coach and the archer mm -hmm. for it to have the proper effect. And the words that you chose with Itai, presumably uh, he really knows what those mean when you say them, right? Yeah, the thing is, and and going back to my style of coaching, I'm I'm really no, I don't rate myself as the great uh, technical coach whatsoever. And I think that sometimes people's obsession with their technique is, is, is out of line and it takes their focus from what's important for performance. So, for example, when they say open, the, each one of the archers, which I say, got, you need to open more, 
they will know to relate it in, in, in relation to themselves, if that makes sense. So yeah. the words we choose are words that I might mean something, but what I mean doesn't really matter because it needs to make sense in the archer's, um, you know, kind of worldview. So yeah. when I say open to Itai and open to Shacha or open to uh, Shammai, each one of those archers will take it to his own realm. Yeah, because their internal self-talk interprets things differently from archer to archer. Abs absolutely. Their positions are different. Their attitudes towards the world are different. It's also why you have the custom approach to each shooter. You don't talk to everybody the same way while you're coaching them on the line. Yeah, absolutely. You know, each uh, person on our on our squad, and I'm sure in every other squad in the world, uh, is his own character and personality. Some really need pumping up. Some are need, need to be calmed down a little bit. Uh, some need to be, you know, constantly told that they're the best of, in the world. And some needs to, you know, take their noses off the of the sky and put them down to earth. So it's a it's a challenging. It's really, you know, it's one of those things. As an archer, you don't appreciate, you know, going back to myself as an archer, I really didn't appreciate my coaches as they should. Um, it's a really tricky thing to know how it's supposed to look like, but then to convey it in a way that will make sense to the archer and make him able to do that is is very difficult. People might not realize that. It's a, it's a very tricky thing. Yeah, and you can't take the cookie cutter approach because everybody uh, reacts absolutely. differently to different kinds of input. You are absolutely correct. I am, I am horrified by the cookie cutter approaches worldwide. Uh, obviously, it's working well. Um, question is, what happens when you meet a cookie cutter? You have the cookie cutter, and the person is not shaped correctly to fit it. And then, what do you do with that? Yeah, so exactly. Those people, those people maybe don't become archers like uh, in some countries. Yeah. Even though they was... might, even though they might be really good archers, if uh, if they were able to work in a system that allowed them to be themselves. Absolutely. You know, in one in in many ways, we are very unfortunate coming from a small archery country. We don't have massive pools of archers just lunging in to come to the to the national squad. And at the beginning, we basically took everyone and be and said that. If you want to take it to the next level and you're willing to put in the effort, we will take you and, and we will make you the best we can, no matter how much you shoot at the moment or what your shooting is like. And, you know, Shamai, who finished fourth right now at the World, Compound, uh, the World Youth Championships in Compound Men, when we started three years ago, he, he barely shot 500 at a 720. And I am sure that in other countries would not make the squad or would be forced to shoot in a certain way. And we kind of, because we have to be a little bit more liberal here and to approach archery in a different way, it, it really worked well. And, you know, sometimes you just worry that had Shamai been born, born somewhere else, maybe it would not have, not because we are great coaches, but just because the system is so different than other countries. When you consider that Israel has a, population of 10 million people and you consider that korea has a population close to something on the order of eight times that i think you're looking at a situation where you have a lot of people who want to participate in the sport in korea so they can afford the 
stricter approach. But in, in Israel, you don't have the, the archery base necessarily to allow you the, shall we say, luxury of being able to throw people out, you know? Oh, and so you have to come up with a custom program for each one, more or less, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And you, when you, especially if you look at Korea, because especially people from our Ministry of Sport were like, "Ooh, let's get a Korean coach now." And I was like, Oof. "That will not. That will work very bad on so many levels." But the, obviously, there's the cultural differences. But it's one of those things. If you tell people, "Okay, now you have to shoot 600, 800, thousand arrows per day," because that's what the Koreans are are doing. It might work really well when you, you know, in Korea where they have more archers, they are built properly. And then if someone get injured, it's fine because they're like a hundred more behind him. We can't do it here because if we injure one, we no longer have a cadet team or a junior team. Uh, yeah, so it's very tricky. And, you know, sometimes you're like the first world problems and sometimes you're like... I wish it could be different, but it is what it is, and we try to do the best we can. Going forward, you have um, a situation where you will not be the coach anymore out of your own choice, and that's because you're actually moving up in terms of the structure in Israeli archery. And um, that, to me, sounds like a positive development strictly from the standpoint of having a strong federation. Um, tell us a little about your future plans. Um, it's a very interesting question. You know, a lot of people are like, ooh, reconsider, or why are you doing it? Uh, at the end of the day, I am, you know, not, not going, um, you know, trying to stay modest or, or whatever. No, but I am very obsessed on making Israel a good archery country. And when I came back from my postgraduate in, in Scotland and I saw how a proper archery country like Great Britain looks like what they're doing in a developmental way that's immensely different, obviously, my studies in performance psychology. So I met up with the Federation and I was like, we can keep doing this and hopefully a guy Matskin will come every now and then whose his family will support. He'll have a good coach and then we might get lucky or we can do it in a proper way. And thankfully there were a few people who were, who were listening and allowed me absolute freedom to uh, do with many, many people. There were many people involved in this in our country. Uh, and then it worked really well. And now I can go like, okay, so things are running. On the professional side, we can get uh, many coaches to now replace me and hopefully they will do a good job. Uh, but now the things that prevent Archer in Israel to take, you know, this mass massive leap forwards are governance and organization. And we are we we were very bad there. And I was like, that is what I would like to do and to try and fix. I enjoy having archery-related problems and try and fix them. Um, yeah, so this is the next step. Uh, what's going to happen on the professional side, we are trying to solve this now. Um, yeah, but hopefully, you know, one of those things when we started it, and sometimes people thought about archery in Israel as an anecdote or, a, you know, a curiosity. Now, you know, you go to world world archery you know even uh world youth championships and israel and britain has the same amount of final field uh, appearances 
and you know that things are going the right way and we just want to keep you know the momentum going on uh, so that's the plan sounds like a great plan steve any closing thoughts well it's pretty clear you you've done a lot of the analytics you and Braden uh are both saber metrics type people um <laughs> The one thing that really stood out to me, Guy, is when you said um, you said a lot of people, they focus strictly on coaching technique. And I look at most every coaching certification or whatever it is where they're, you know, they're trying to teach a way to teach and they're all focused around technique. And the problem is you don't have, you aren't building winners. You're building what you hope is, you know, a robot, but we're humans and we're not anywhere close to robots. When one thing changes, when we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, uh, it can throw the whole system off. But, you know, you were prepping for any number of, of uh, hurdles, you know, for, for you and uh, Itai to get through. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, you, you were building him up from, from a competitive standpoint, you know, and, and you didn't really tell us about anything you did for him on the technique side, but ultimately, as long as a guy can aim in the middle and not screw up the release, it kind of doesn't matter how you get there, but you know, <laughs> that, that is so, that is so true on so many levels. You know, Sarah Priels is a good friend of mine. We studied together in Edinburgh. And in some of the compounders in Israel uh, before Shammai were like, ooh, get her to tell us our secrets. And I, and, you know, and I, took a, and I took a video of her and she said, just hold the dot in the middle and just shoot. Uh, so, sorry for the profanities there. Um, oh, you're fine. I can, I can edit that. We have, to keep yeah, our it's, Apple, it's, we have to keep our Apple clean rating, but I think we might be able to get away with one. A little yeah. bleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's from, that's and, from your time in Scotland, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a very unorthodox coach in, the, in how little I focus on technique, because, you know, you've seen so many great archers. And especially if you look at the Olympics, you know, I keep telling people, just look at Hojiniak and what he has done. And every super technical coach in the world will just pull his hair out looking at him. Uh, right. and, and it's just about being a performer. So I try and work on <laughs> performance. And you're right, Steve, you know, you look at the, at the uh, curriculums for archery courses around the world, it will be 90% technique, uh, sorry, 80% technique, 15% equipment. And then in the 5%, you'll have nutrition, psychology, conditioning, and, you know, the greatest in the world are just holistic archers. They have everything going for them. And, you know, Mete Gazoz, you just look at him and he's a technical archer. He has great equipment. He's mentally strong as they can come. Uh, he's very strong physically as well, even though he looks uh, small. He's that, he's that wiry strong that Steve was talking yeah. about, right? Exactly. And the thing is, if you build a competitor you need to build the whole thing, not just technique. And that's a failing yeah. that's very prevalent in archery, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you get a lot further being a competitor. And I, I've said a million times on this podcast and to people, my the reason I had success in archery, I don't think was because of technique. I don't think I aim better than other people. You know, I don't have, I have the same equipment as most of my competitors. 
Uh, I think I just, you know, I grew up in a competitive environment and I enjoyed it and it carried me a long ways. So, you know, still, still does a little bit here and there, but I need to uh, maybe step back and make sure I'm putting in the practice and all that fun stuff. You know, and, and and final thoughts for maybe people who listen and it's trying to open their minds. And I keep going into this argument with almost every person at some point is if you just ask yourself what is talent or what is talent in archery and then you immediately get these people like oh you know how good is shooting how quickly he gets the form etc etc and i'll keep arguing until the day that i die is that talent is about hard work is about not letting not not stopping when things don't go your way it's about um exactly that it's about competing and willing to get better uh, so it's more psychological than it would be technical, I'd guess. No one wants to hear it though. When you do the, when you do the seminars anywhere and, and people, at, you know, they want to know the, the secrets of setting up a bow. And I'm like, there's no black magic there either. I said the, the black magic of these guys who are really good at archery is they're really good archers when they need to be. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so that's, that's the key. Yeah, it's, you know, a friend of mine went to Korea to train with them uh, and he came back and we were like, ooh, what's their secret? And he's like, you know, what's the secret? They wake up, they go to practice, they eat, they do more practice and then you eat and go to more practice and they keep working on mental stuff and stuff. And that's the only way to do it. Hard work and mental preparation. And that's how you build an archer. But everyone keeps going to these seminars, looking on YouTube, trying to find that secret that everyone's keeping away from you and there is no secret i'm sorry for your listeners who are expecting some secret here just prepare you, you're telling me that I that you uh, oh, go, go ahead, ahead george no no no. you first i say i think you did share the secret truthfully if, if people are listening they'll they'll hear it so i'm really disappointed to hear that that 120 clicker that uh i saw the other day <laughs> isn't going to give me points yeah, well, I was looking at a commercial they did, or not a commercial, like a video they did on uh, Instagram of four of those people with uh, clickers. And I was like, hmm, that's 500 euros worth in clickers. And that doesn't make any difference at all, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Hard work and great support from people like you, Guy. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast today. It's been great hearing from you directly. And I have a feeling that we're going to want to talk to you more in the future because uh, I think you've got some insights that are really valuable and uh, really enjoyed having you on. Thank you. It was both an honor and a pleasure being here. Thank you both so much. And I hope to see you when COVID clears up a little bit. You know, I, I think uh, I've always just liked Guy. I thought he was cool, you know, funny guy. He's pretty, he didn't necessarily uh, show it there, but he's got a real good sense of humor. Um and I thought it would be great to have him on, but the more he talked, I was like, this guy's impressive, you know, like oh, yeah. listening to it, no doubt why they had as good of a performance as they did in Tokyo. And right. you see, say that, you know, 80% technique, you know, what most people are doing is 80% technique, 15% equipment, 5% everything else. And, and I thought I can guarantee most head coaches in other countries, they're, they're doing the 80% technique part and maybe some of the equipment part. And then to check the box, they're trotting in some, you know, outside person to 
give everyone a pep talk. I is doing it himself. You know, he's involved from every step of the way. And that's huge. I think when you get, you get a, an athlete and a coach working on all of those parameters, that's, that's pretty huge. I would want, I would want guy as my coach. Absolutely. I, I, I would absolutely be happy to have him in the coaching box for anything I was doing from the standpoint of him, besides being a qualified sports psychologist. I mean, you know, he understands all of the, all of the, uh, aspects of, of success in our sport. And obviously he applied it with great effect, not just with, uh, with Itai, but also with some of the other up and coming younger shooters, including the compound team that Israel has started to field. So uh, thanks for the, uh, that uh, hookup there, Steve, that was a really good interview and I enjoyed it. What, what most people may not realize is guy is only, I think he's 31 years old, according to world archery. You know, he's not, uh, he's, he's not out of prime competing age either. So yeah, he, he probably relates well to their current team. Absolutely. And uh, I expect we'll continue to see great things from Israeli archery as they continue because they've got people like him um, high up in the organization and hopefully keeping things on track. It's tough in a small country to, uh, to do that kind of thing, but there's no doubt that he's got a little extra gravitas now with the proven success. Uh, I think you make the top eight in the Olympic games. That's proven success right there. You know, that's yeah. um, no, no, nobody's going to, nobody's going to say, well, you should have done this or you should have done that. He's, he's in the driver's seat now. And that's a good thing. Yep. Yep. Very cool to hear from him. Speaking of good things. I thought one of the coolest things I've seen in the last few weeks was you and Linda your wife, mixed team champions of the United States. How cool was that? Uh, well, it was expected. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the mixed team and the team rounds at USA Nationals are kind of a, a for fun type thing. And not everyone competed. You know, I was hoping uh, Braden and Tanya would compete and uh, Paige and Tate and uh, you know, maybe Jimmy and Danelle, but they all wanted to get out of there for the day. So it, uh, it was still, I don't think it would have mattered because Linda was freaking on fire. I mean, we shot four matches. She dropped four points. So, so, you know, I, and I didn't I, shoot bad, so it was going to be hard she, to beat us. Yeah. Did she actually outshoot you? She did. Yeah. And, and yeah. the one match we shot a 159 with five X, 160 with eight X is the record. And I was definitely the one who who dropped the point at uh, in the last end. So that know, is awesome, though. We wouldn't have got to the world record off X's, but we certainly shot pretty darn good. No, no doubt about that. And it was nice to see. All joking aside, it was really great. Yeah, it was um, yeah. And as a part partial result of, I believe, your fourth place finish at nationals, is that right? Uh, you are on fourth- the World Cup team. Yeah, fourth at Nationals and then second at uh, the U.S. Open. And, um, you know, I haven't seen the, the final calculations for USAT rankings, but according to my knowledge and everything everyone else is telling me, that should put me on the, the World Cup team for 2022. Okay. I, and I know that, you know, I mean, in our conversations, you didn't really identify that as a big goal of yours. But um, I have to figure – that you're going to take advantage of that 
opportunity and, uh, you know, continue your, your path, uh, having been on the world cup team a few years back, uh, you know, several years in a row, um, obviously around the time that you won the world championship, I, I have to figure that that's a good thing for you. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to spend the time doing world cup stuff and traveling around the world and chasing that. But, um, and, and you know, I had no, it was not a goal of mine to go and, and make the team, but had a good result right out of the gate at Arizona cup. And, you know, just didn't have a bad tournament the whole year. I didn't have anything, you know, too stellar, but I didn't have a bad tournament. And, uh, once I realized I could, I could make it, you know, I, there's five events, you keep your four best. I didn't go to, to one of the events. So I was basically stuck with whatever I had. And I knew if I went to nationals and had a, had a good event, I would probably make the team. And, you know, once I made it, I was like, well, it's hard to, it's hard to make the U S team. You know, it's a, it's a big it honor is. to, to go to the world cups, no matter where you're from. And, but if you're on the U S men's compound team, it's even more so, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the Korean recurve team of the world from the standpoint of compound. Yeah. From, from making the team and, and being able to compete, you know, we could, we could send any number of, <laughs> if we really wanted, we could probably send about 50 different guys and, and the results wouldn't be a whole lot different. Um, I won't, I won't dispute that, but so it, it yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to go. I, I think I'll be able to, I, you know, I don't know where my life will be or what the world will look like in six or seven months or eight months when we start going to those, but I'll try to go to some. And I think it will be my, my last hurrah of world cup archery. Oh, if nothing else, it'll be a good incentive for you to, you know, at least look at your practice routine and see if there's anything you want to adjust and um, maybe I think we'll we'll look forward to hearing from you at those events and getting firsthand knowledge of what's happening there. I think that'll be a great thing overall. Yeah, I, I thought about that. You know, it'd be be cool to do a more involved. Uh, I don't want to call it a blog, but like just a you know daily look in at what's happening at the World Cup. Yeah, Steve Anderson's uh, daily diary at the events would be an awesome thing for a lot of people to be able to to see. I think it would be really interesting. So I hope that you have the time and inclination to, to do that because I think a lot of folks would love to hear that. Probably have to make it happen. Yep. Well, at the very least, we'll talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> <laughs> so there's plenty of archery action still going on. Obviously the Paralympic games get started as we speak today. Um, and we are actually going to have a separate discussion uh, with Tom Dillon, who's in Tokyo, later in the week to talk about the Paralympics. But suffice it to say, we've got a great U.S. team at the Paralympics. Uh, every country sending their best, like they often do. And uh, we'll, we'll have a, a full discussion of the Paralympics coming up. Also, the Youth World Championships took place. We'll have a, um, a discussion about that subject coming up as well. But also, we've got, I think, the the supreme close of the season. If we can't have Kings of Archery, which looks like that's not going to happen again this year, um, at least we can have a great world championship followed up immediately by a World Cup in a great place for archery, Steve. And of course, that's Yankton. And that is exactly, um, I mean, you know, the first elimination rounds will start exactly one month from now. 
And so um, a lot to look forward to. Um, you know, the, the team at Yankton, Brittany and Steve, uh, Brittany and Bruce and everybody involved there, uh, hard at work getting ready to welcome the world. There's more than 85 countries uh, confirmed so far and some more to come. Uh, you know, there's another week to go before the deadline. So uh, it's going to be a big event. And you're going to be the DOS, is that right? No, no, I'll be the announcer for the event. Oh, okay. Uh, the, cool. In fact, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, my good friend Junji Ozawa from Japan, uh, who I've worked together with very closely in uh, events in Asia, he will be the DOS. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, so Junji is usually the chairman of judges or a judge at the Asia Cup events that I normally go to. And he's going to be DOS as far as uh, my understanding, presuming that, you know, travel's allowed for folks from Japan, because it's, you know, it's a bit of a problem uh, because they got to spend two weeks in quarantine when they go home. And uh, so hopefully Junji is able to make that trip and, uh, and we'll be reunited as a, as a DOS slash announcing team going forward at the, uh, at the world cup, at the world nice. cup and the world, uh, world championships. Well, so that'll, yeah, that'll be fun. you're pulling double duty there, huh? Well, in my case, at the Asia Cups, usually I am the DOS and the announcer, but for the World Cup and the World Championships, uh, all I have to do is is call arrows. I, I don't have to right. I don't have to push buttons or do anything else. <laughs> and and to be fair, I don't ha- I don't really have to do much button pushing either when I when I'm at the World Cups. Uh, I'm the DOS, but th- there's an operator to take care of the timing system, which is, you know, that's the true DOS job. Yeah keep everyone so, on the clock so yeah i just have to know the rules and what what time to plug into the clock and all that stuff but there's people who know that equipment really well who are much better at it than i would be especially since i'm trying to juggle music and announcing and everything else all at the same time so right there'd be major screw-ups if you just left it to me <laughs> uh, same here same here so so yeah that'll be cool i uh you know it's pretty pretty exciting that they're they're doing both events there back to back yeah not to mention the congress as well which takes place before the world championship yeah but that's not exciting for anybody no Um, no (laughs) that's that's the bureaucratic stuff but steve you've got a stake in this this is where they will decide the fate of your proposal um i had something really funny and clever to say about that and i forgot what it was but you know, hold tight. Suffice to say that we're all going to be watching very closely to see if World Archery adopts the Steve Anderson rule, which is, of course, as people following us on social media know, and has been a big source of conflict between you and me in the last month and a half, the Steve Anderson rule to to ban target quivers. Yes. And anything, you know, arrows forward facing, which should be illegal by federal law, not necessarily just archery law. But, uh, you know, we aren't there yet. There's other things, I guess, that are more pressing matters. So, um, yeah, that's uh, issue 1.1, I guess, on the uh, list of rule changes for yeah, this. Yeah, 1.1 revision, 1. 1.1 revision 3. And have you done any lobbying? Have you, have you talked to the delegates? Have you, uh, have you been working on trying to get them to see your way on this? I've lined some pockets, yeah. I, uh, you know, gone out and and uh, done some of the archery handshaking, as you might say. 
I think that's a perfect place to end the show. <laughs>